0: Welcome to Educated Conjecture, an Ipsos podcast that combines what the public thinks with what the experts think. In each episode, Ipsos's Mike College and Sean Simpson join an informed guest to examine a current or emerging issue. They discuss what's happening today, think ahead about the future impact, both the good and the bad, and reflect on what steps might need to be taken to generate a better outcome for tomorrow. In this episode, Kendra Jones, Director at Ipsos and in theaters across the globe, joins Sean and Mike as they talk about the impact of the pandemic on theatre companies and whether live theatre will see a return to its traditions or will be reshaped in a post-pandemic world. And now, on to the episode.
1: Welcome everybody to uh, our uh, latest episode of uh, Educated Conjecture. We need a, uh, a podcast name that's not quite as big a mouthful for me, Sean. How are you today?
2: <laughs> you're not one that we have to record in the mornings with big words.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know you're very super excited about our
1: guest today because uh, we have Kendra Jones, who has a background in theatre, and uh, I know that's a big theatre buff. But uh, first, um, I just want to check in and see how you're doing. You're uh, you're back at uh, Home and Kitchener today?
2: Yes, I am. Uh, I did a little bit of uh, camping, got up to uh, Ottawa earlier this week. It's just nice to... Uh, get out and about uh, having been uh, been fully vaccinated. So looking forward to, uh, to re-engaging with some things that I've really missed over the last year and a half. How about you, Mike? Doing well? Excellent.
1: Excellent. Same thing. Uh, although I, I, being from Ottawa, I tried to avoid downtown Ottawa as much as possible <laughs> and had to uh, head out to camp or uh, to the, the cottage as much as I can. So, Sean, we normally start off with just uh, a couple of things we've seen of late that um, you and I think are interesting anyway. Uh, did you want to kick off or do you want me to kick off?
2: Yeah, sure. I've got an interesting stat to share Uh, recently released by Global News, uh, and it shows that 51% Fifty-one percent of Canadians say that they're anxious about returning to normal life following the pandemic. I mean, I'm not sure there is going to be a following the pandemic, but you get the idea that that uh, half of Canadians are anxious and nervous about re-engaging. And I know these, you know, stats of the day aren't necessarily supposed to be linked to the topic that we're discussing here today, but I think, you know, Kendra will probably have a few things to say about, you know, how we can try to, to help people feel more comfortable as they're reengaging, and what uh, what they need to see and what they need to hear in order to 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 be okay with reengaging. Because it appears, according to our poll, that getting the vaccine isn't enough. So, looking forward to hearing Kendra's thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it'd be and it'd be interesting to see as this evolves um, whether it's. <laughs> It's not about us getting the vaccines, but other people getting the vaccine. So that, that's true. Um, very cool. So mine is less about uh, a single piece of data um, and and more just an observation about some of the, the global work we do, particularly the views Canadians hold of Canada. Uh, one of the things that, that I found interesting as we start to look through, this time anyway, is, is we constantly see people from other countries saying how great Canada is and how the great the quality of life is How on the outside looking in. Canada scores very well on a a large number of metrics. But we do a monthly global study where we ask people in 28 countries how they feel about their countries. And Canada is, you know, decidedly average on that in terms of how Canadians feel about the country. You know, we fall in terms of our short-term consumer and citizen sentiment. We fall in the middle of the pack. Uh, a lot of the 28 countries in terms of our, our longer term measurement of social capital or social cohesion. Again, I think we're 10th out of the 28 countries. And when it comes to personal financial health, you know, we are again, you know, pretty much smack dab in the middle of, on the average. So, so there's something to be said, I think, for not being at the bottom, but it's very interesting that, uh, when others look at us, um, they rank us much higher than we do. So I'm not sure if that's our, our humble Canadian stance on the world or if it's, uh, if it's a longer term look at sort of some growing dissatisfaction or, you know, uh, some cracks that we see because we're a little bit closer to uh, what's going on in the country. Either way, we will pick Kendra's brain on those and the theater and how the theater moves into uh, channel performance or vice versa. So today's guest, as I mentioned, is Kendra Jones. Kendra, by day, is uh, a director in the channel performance research team at Ipsos Canada, which she can talk to much better than I can when she gets there. But the cool thing about Kendra, not that channel performance isn't cool, but the cool thing about Kendra, I think, is she has this whole other career life, um, which when I walk through it, you'll, you'll question, you know, how, when does she sleep? Kendra is a, a director, a creator, uh, a dramaturg which I didn't get a chance to look up so you can explain to me. She has an MA in uh, Text and Performance from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and holds a BA in uh, the Theatre Performance from the University of Winnipeg. Among other things, she started her own uh, uh, company in 2009, the Impel Theatre Company, to to show off some of her experimental work and creations. And she has been uber-busy um ironically i think you probably would say kendra given that the pandemic happened and you probably thought whoa what's going to happen to the theater then uh but has been uber busy over the last year year and a half 18 months or so while the pandemic's gone on and has some great success she has a list of accomplishments too on the theater side too long for me to walk through but i would just like to welcome you to uh to our little chat kendra how are you today
3: I'm pretty good. Thanks so much for having me. It's very exciting.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Sean's going to jump in immediately with a question about uh, what's the future of the theater and when can I go back?
2: <laughs> so, Sean, do you, want to,
1: do you want to paraphrase it or how do you want yeah, to? Yeah,
2: well, it? <laughs> actually, I know the I know the answer to that question. It's next week. I'm going to Stratford yeah. to sit outside under the canopy with I don't know 50 or a hundred other people to uh, to to watch a cabaret. Looking forward to it very much.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about you when I saw the opening night photos and how excited you must be. Um, Oh,
2: yes.
3: (laughs) It's funny, that's a hard question to answer, is is when, what will happen to theatre. Because by some people's accounts, um, the pandemic shut it down, which largely, you know, in-person performance was impossible. Um and until really the last couple of weeks in in most parts of Canada has continued to be impossible. Whereas theaters continued to happen in other forms. So um a lot of digital work has happened and that's where a lot of the stuff I've been doing in the last little while, um, the last year and a bit <laughs> that Mike referred to, uh, has been occurring. So I um I love to play with um spaces that's the thing that gets me really excited. When we experience a space, how does the space that we're in change the way that we experience the people around us, the thoughts that we're having, the things that we're listening to all of those sorts of things. When we were presented with this situation where the only way to interact with other humans is through screens where we've kind of been living in a world that we've we've kind of complained has been that, but it wasn't really that until March of 2020 I thought like, oh, interesting. Here's a new place to play in. And it's a place that doesn't have all of the the architecture that we're used to a place having um, because the, the four walls that we experience are our same four walls. Um, but for me, that posed a really great question as a theater maker. How do I create work? that can continue to impact and make people think about the spaces that they're experiencing when every single person who watches or engages with my work is going to be in their own space. I have zero control. I Usually I create the space and then things mm. happen in that space but this time it's like, oh, okay well I have no idea what their space is so how do I make them think and feel certain things with no control over what that space looks and feels like and not even any knowledge of what that space looks and feels like.
1: I suspect there's some, some neat parallels to the uh the day job you have too, because yeah. you know the world moved from um, in store, in restaurant, in person experiences to the same kind of uh, kind of shift overnight,
3: basically. Yeah, yeah, literally overnight. Companies that had you know primarily in store interactions, you know, if you were lucky, they had a curbside pickup, but for the most part, you had to order something online. You had to hope. I, my, my best story of the pandemic is I really needed socks, but you know how hard it is to order the right socks online if you don't know. <laughs> Like a picture of a sock is really hard to, to process. <laughs> what am I actually buying? Um, and so I, I procrastinated it for ages. Um, but yeah, so moving to this space where the environment is so is diff- mediated in such a different way than what we're used to. And the ability to interact with the objects and the people in those spaces is eliminated. In a way, the thing that kind of informed my creation of some theatre work over this time was exactly that. Thinking about, you know, how it's different for everyone in every part of their life. Not just in the art experiencing part of their life, but in the, you know, sock buying part of their life. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Kendra, you know, you've, you've clearly been able to, to make an adjustment and, and to be able to create and deliver art virtually. But I think, you know, some organizations have not. Um, are, are you seeing a trend or a theme as to, you know, what kinds of organizations have been able to pivot and, and create art over the last 18 months and, and which aren't? Are the larger players like Stratford, the COC, Shaw Festival, you know, repertory theaters, are they at a disadvantage because they're so legacy that they can't pivot uh, or are are smaller organizations at a disadvantage just because they don't have the resources uh, maybe available to them to 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 be able to to keep producing when they're not able to sell the tickets and put bums in seats? Right? Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. In my observation, the really really big companies have been in great shape because they have budget right? So their funding didn't go away. They have operational funding, they were able to get extra grants, often they would have had stuff recorded already. So we saw a lot of, um, you know, recordings that would normally never see the light of day. Um, you know, the the archival recordings and things suddenly being up for people to watch in Canada. In the UK, um, particularly, and in Germany, where there's a huge, it, it's already been a thing for, you know, 10 plus years to record theatre for the screen, um, and you see those amazing National Theatre Live productions where you can see a production from the Donmar Warehouse like you're sitting there, except you're in a Cineplex in Toronto or Winnipeg or wherever you happen to be. Um, So those companies did great. There was so much content coming out of those kinds of companies, and to a lesser extent, some of the big companies in Canada could leverage that funding it's the medium-sized companies that really struggled to find their footing because they didn't even have the setup. So if you think of companies like like the regional theaters, like Manitoba Theatre Centre or Prairie Theatre Exchange or the Belfry or those sorts of theaters, they didn't have the cameras. They didn't have the studios. So they had to wait for the funding to get released, then start to build the thing. And so then it was months before they actually had that infrastructure and able to actually be able to do it. So you saw a big there was a big influx of digital performance or recorded theater performance. I don't want to call it digital because I think that is a slightly different dramaturgy. But but recorded theater performance, there was so much of it in like December through April of this past year, everyone found a way to make a season. And by contrast, the really small companies, so like myself, lots of other small companies like that, we benefit from being so small because we don't need, the, I just needed a zoom account and you know, I paid my actors equity or, or actor wage because I think they should be paid that, but it just came out of my savings account. You know, it wasn't like a big, it wasn't a big deal I didn't have to wait for a grant. I could just say, Hey guys, I want to do this thing. And they came along for the ride.
1: Do you think now that the, the especially the medium folks, the medium, medium sized companies mm-hmm. that now have that. And as Sean said, whether there'll be a post pandemic or a normal do you think it continues now? Like it's it, that we've changed at least in theater, and maybe there's a parallel to live music. We've changed the format such that you know we'll go back to concert, we'll go back to traditional theater, but we'll also always have this ongoing stream of, for lack of a better description, digital along the side in some way, shape, or form to broaden the audience.
3: I mean, I hope so. I sincerely hope that you know we haven't just done this as a stopgap um and that as a as an industry that we've learned from it um because there are so many benefits to offering um theatrical performances in this manner both in terms of accessibility um because you know for people who maybe don't feel comfortable going to the theater you know there's physical accessibility issues you name it even things like closed captioning in order to put surtitles on an opera or a play there's a huge infrastructure re- required, and it has to be worked into the design and all things like that. Whereas if it's on a screen, you can just turn on the closed captioning in Zoom or in whatever you're watching on YouTube, what have you. So those sorts of accessibility things really make it um, a huge positive for me. I worry that there's been a lot of like, oh, theater is back conversations and I'm like, mm, it didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> we've we've been here, we haven't stopped. Um, not everybody did anyway. So it's uh I mean I hope so. I hope that they continue to have more of a multimedia offering and more of uh an accessible offering that continues to leverage the things that everyone spent time and money and effort figuring out and learning, um, and not just say like, oh, glad that's done and then <laughs> And, and,
1: and to Sean's point earlier on about the the half of the population that were anxious about the yeah. return to normal yeah. return to, you know, public spaces, mm-hmm. it would seem to be, there's a bit of a built-in audience for for people to say, you know, let's gradually work yeah. on way back. I'm I'm not, you know, Sean's going to run out and, and go to the theater, but other people yeah. may say, you know what, I'm happy for the foreseeable future to stay at home and watch it yeah. on, on my screen.
3: Well, and the other thing is, is that like, at least in some of the independent work I've been seeing, a lot of companies have built shows to work both ways. So like there's a show I'm reviewing tonight for Hamilton Fringe that you can go to in person. It's kind of a scavenger hunt. It sounds really, really cool. So you can go do it in person or you can do it digitally. So I'm not going to drive to Hamilton and go run around because I got other things to do today, but I I can experience the show in the way that they've intended a digital version of that experience so that I can still experience a show in Hamilton even though I'm not leaving Toronto. And the same is true elsewhere, right? Like I watch shows from Calgary, I watch shows from Frankfurt, I watch shows from South Africa throughout the course of the pandemic, but I didn't go to any of those places. So it, it's kind of amazing to get access to work that way. And even myself, like I had a show transfer to Manchester in the middle of a pandemic. Right?
1: But you may in the future, if you go, wow, that was a very cool scavenger hunt throughout oh, Hamilton, yeah. I need to go to Hamilton now and uh, exactly. and, and, and visit Hamilton.
3: So, exactly. Or, cool. you know, next time I'm a terrible theater tourist, I never go on holiday, even on a work trip. If I'm in the city for more than like 24 hours, I probably see a show <laughs> like every time <laughs> you, I don't even care what the company is. I will literally watch anything. I just need to sit in a dark room with some other humans. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, like that's how I've learned about so many companies. And then when I'm in that city, I will say, oh, hey, you know, Steppenwolf is doing a show or Shabuna is doing a show or whoever it is.
2: Kendra, I loved when you said you know that theater and art didn't go away it still existed we just had it to change change the way that we that we deliver it essentially but you know for a lot of people enjoying art is more than the art itself it's it's the experience of going to a theater having dinner first having a drink at intermission. I mean, yeah. I guess I'm just saying all the things I like to do in addition to the art. Um, uh, and, you know, um, so I'm thinking about that in-person uh, experience. Will theatre and the performing arts be among the last sectors to, I would have said rebound, but you've changed sort of the the, the my vocabulary here. Will it be the last sector to return to sort of a pre-pandemic format or, you know, cause you think about stadiums are already opening, you know, with, with uh, caps of a couple thousand people, et cetera. But, you know, the, a closed room sitting elbow to elbow with, with other mm-hmm. theater goers, I think is a, is, is a different, different spot. So is there a, a how long or you know, will we ever get back to where we were?
3: I, I, I know we will. It definitely will. It's happened in other places. Like I've seen even, even like in 2020, there were theaters in, I want to say they were in South Korea, where they were doing, you know, tests and tracking the same stuff you do. Like when you go to the hair salon, they were doing that outside the theater. And then you had to go and you had to keep your mask on and they'd taken out every second seat. Um, and some theaters in Germany did that, too. So just to keep it it going. But yeah, I think it. I think it's going to be a while before it's you know shoulder to shoulder with someone you don't know and your drink in your hand and all of those things and you know the person coming around selling you ice cream at the interval. Like I think that, oh, that I hate
2: that I hate I that. ice cream. Um, theater, in a theater. theater
3: is about Sick ice cream, John. This is yeah. my number one learning on my MA. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the West End. If you go to the West End, they sell little Haagen Dazs cups at your seat. <laughs>
2: I love, I love the sound of great. people eating chips behind me in the theater. That that, that, right? that really adds, adds to the experience yeah. uh, for yeah. me anyway. <laughs> it's,
0: well, what's
3: fun is you can work with that, right? Like, and I think that I'm, I'm most excited to see that now that things are starting to reopen and we are allowed to rehearse plays in person again, um, not films, plays in theaters, that we're going to make use of that, you know, like for me, one of the biggest pieces of making theaters, you have to make use of the space and the people and what they're bringing to the room. We're, we're presented with all of these great opportunities. You know, a lot of people might call them challenges, but I really like to view them as opportunities to really think through what people are bringing into that room that day and, and all of those uncertainties, right? That anxiety. Do I feel comfortable sitting next to someone? When's the last time I did this? There's an excitement about it, but there's also a little bit of like, you know, in your gut, Fear of like what's happening and i really like what you said mike about other people being vaccinated because for me that's that's the biggest thing right is that like mm-hmm. i know where i'm at and i know the precautions that i take but i have no control over what other people are doing and i have no knowledge of of what their state is and so where's that level of risk to go decide to sit beside someone in a theater for three hours to watch hamlet yeah. <laughs> you know
1: there's a big risk i, I think from a uh A broader social perspective, right? And we we've rapidly taken away in the pandemic opportunities for shared experiences. Well, it it used to be a hundred years ago going to the market, but the notion of going to a mall, the notion of Mm -hmm. of going out and shopping and 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 meeting people on the street, um, has was on its was in declining before the pandemic, with with online shopping, with drive-throughs. You know, you don't sit in restaurants anymore. You toss toss the fries to the kids in the back seat and keep driving. Those shared experiences where you bump into other people outside of your core were already in decline the pandemic drastically accelerated those and I think things like the arts desperately need to come back um, if for nothing else I know for, to fulfill your needs Sean of going <laughs> to the theater but but for and you, you Kendra but 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 for society's own right I don't go to the theater on a regular basis but the the odd time we would get chance to go, it's an experience, right? And it's something mm-hmm. we go out, we bump into other people. We, we, we—it's a whole different world.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just worry longer term that if we don't find ways to do those things, if we don't bring these things back, um, we just create, I guess, smaller bubbles or, or, or without trying divisions between us because we just don't yeah. don't bump, we don't see people we don't know.
3: Empathy breaks down those walls. So, you know, take someone to the theater because you have to be confronted with people that are different than you and lives that are different from yours and choices you might disagree with or what have you. Right? It goes back to the ancient Greeks. That's literally what the purpose is, yes. is to look at some things, look at some choices being made and, and then debate the positives and negatives of those choices. So, yeah, I think it's so it's so crucial that we do get back to those kinds of communal experiences and which is it's funny that you mentioned that cuz the digital show um an acorn that I did earlier this year yep. that transferred to the UK that was one of the biggest um focuses for us is that we didn't want it to be just another faces on zoom reading at you and so we baked into the experience a number of different things so when someone got their ticket we sent them an email and encouraged them to make a certain kind of social media post and use certain language in that post and a hashtag and then to follow that hashtag and see when other people were doing the same thing so you could create the sense of community and people in multiple places experiencing the same thing and then similarly when the show was on, the performance existed in Zoom, and then the actors also interacted with the audience through Instagram. So the actors cool. would like take a photo, share it. They would go back and forth with audience members while they were on the Zoom call. And so you could, it. The feedback we got from audiences is that it was the first time that they had felt they had a communal experience in a really, really long time, which was to us was thrilling because we weren't sure it was going to work. Well, that's,
1: that's <laughs> like, great. So, so right. as much as I, so as much as I'm a pessimist, uh, <laughs> that. We won't get back together and the world is collapsing. You're telling me there are ways we can use the the, the digital so. world to create maybe even broader connections, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, Very I think cool. so. Right? And it's, it's no different than when you have a really good, like when when call centers became the way that lots of companies dealt with your questions and problems, it felt like that was going to be really impersonal. But I've had some amazing call center experiences, <laughs> you know, calling, we call Nike a lot. My kid's an athlete. We constantly have Nike stuff and, you know, there's something breaks or there's something wrong or the wrong size comes. Their customer service people on the phone are um, it feels like I'm calling a friend like mm. it's <laughs> I love calling Nike, <laughs> but, but <laughs> kind of, like connections are still possible in these other media. We just need to to make ourselves think about how that's possible.
2: So uh, how do we, uh, if it's so important for people to get back into the theatre, and I think we can all agree that, that it is, um, how do we make people more comfortable doing that? Uh, and this may be a perfect question that blends both your theatre experience and your day job experience, but what are people looking for, uh, aside from getting a vaccine themselves, what, what is controllable and what, what, what are people going to be demanding from, uh, you know, front of house staff and producers, et cetera, theater venues in order to feel comfortable sitting in a the theater again?
3: It's interesting you ask that because a year ago, I could have told you with certainty that people were looking for, you know, they wanted to see the the cleanliness theater as it came to be called, you know, wiping things down, sanitizing the signs, the markers on the floor, all of that. People wanted that. We were all craving it. And I know myself, if I went in somewhere and that wasn't there or I didn't see those signs, I grew anxious because I didn't trust that they were happening if I didn't see them. But now with the vaccine and with people's comfort levels changing and that the whole concept of um, pandemic fatigue kind of playing in, I don't know if I know the answer to be totally fair. Like, I think that um, the the level of comfort and the signals that people need are so different person to person because of that anxiety that some people feel, whereas for others, it's just like, oh, awesome, it's open. I'll be down on the patio tomorrow you know (laughs) and that's it's really interesting but I think that what um, what companies can do is continue to communicate you know so um, what safety measures they have in place what they're doing to protect not only the audience but the performers because I think that's something that one of the reasons that it's taken so long for theater to get back is because you have to rehearse face-to-face, right? So you're spending an incredible amount of time very close to other people. Um, It's not at all uncommon in pre-COVID days for, you know, if if someone in the cast gets a flu, pretty much everyone's getting that flu or everyone's getting that cold because you're, you're basically living in close quarters for a three or four week rehearsal period. So, yeah, I think, I think just communicating, like, I think, and, and being mindful of the, the shifting expectations and really listening to people. You know, like if, if audience members communicate, you know, this isn't working for me, listen to that, adapt, move and, and change forward um, because it is going to keep evolving, I think.
1: Do you think uh, it reminds me of a, there was a time last summer uh, we were on a restaurant, uh, a patio on a restaurant, and because of the COVID rules, it was quite spread out and uh, compared to what this patio normally is i was like wow this is really nice um yes. to have fewer people in more space mm-hmm. and i just wonder if in the theater or in all walks of life there's an opportunity for you know would sean would you pay more to sit in a in a the same size theater with fewer people in more space not only from a COVID perspective but from a comfort perspective right like from a You know, there's nobody right next to me and I have a little more space. And I don't mean you, Sean, in particular, but, but, you know, there might be uh, a whole new genre of, of, of of activities that are, Mm -hmm. are built for, for, um, that that go for a long time, right? That's not a post pandemic thing that years from now people have gone, I've become accustomed to, um, this wider space.
3: Yeah. Well, the very idea of sitting in indoor spaces to watch, theater performances on lit stages that didn't exist until after the like the plague during the Elizabethan period in England right yeah. in England and in, and in Italy like it before that people watch theater outside in the same kinds of spaces where they would watch bear baiting you know and be rammed up as like sports events which is super fun like trust me watching Shakespeare standing up shoulder to shoulder with like jostling of people way more fun uh, <laughs> <laughs> way more fun um but yeah like that Shifts like that have already happened, and I think that we we have a tendency to get locked on to, like, oh, this is what it's always been, and it's there's important. no need. Like, it, it changes all the time. And that's
2: – I mean, it's interesting you, you posed that question, Mike, because, yes, certainly more space is is, is is great. You know, sort of sort of like would you rather sit in first class on an airplane or economy, you know, <laughs> so the seat's more comfortable and more, more elbow room. <laughs> but, 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 and a big but, there is no substitute for the energy – that mm-hmm. a packed theater brings, you That's know, true. when the lights start dimming and the curtain goes up, I mean, you can feel the the energy in the room, even though no one's saying anything. They're just politely eating their ice cream <laughs> or, or munching their <laughs> or
1: chips.
3: Hopefully they've or unwrapped munching. their candy
1: right? yeah. <laughs> it's true, That's though, already. That's true. And, and I think that'll be a balance that people are challenged with or they, they trade off on a regular basis, depending on yeah. their their point of view.
3: Yeah, well, it's it's funny that they've put these restrictions. Like, I think right now, theaters are allowed a 30% capacity or something, and depending on what province you're in. And uh, there's, there was a whole thread going on on Twitter amongst theater folk of like, oh, oh, darn, I've never performed in front of a 30% audience, except like, of course, everybody has, because everyone's been in that <laughs> show that had like 10 people show up that day. Yeah. So, <laughs> well and, and this is
2: this is the other question for for me about about funding and sustainability uh, in the arts so you know I I read the literature that comes out you know from the various theater companies and stuff and there's always a pie chart and it shows that only 25 percent of revenue comes from you know uh, yeah. ticket sales then you've got government and fundraising and other other sources etc if that 25 percent, now uh is only five percent because it's capacity controlled or people you know are nervous to go back it's it's really hard to keep the lights on in a in a 1500 seat theater like the center in the square here in kitchener when you're only allowed to sell 300 tickets to a show mm-hmm. where's the rest of that money coming from i mean is it the <laughs> venues themselves that are that are that are going to be challenged uh to to survive to, to somebody does government need to step up and, and provide more funding through Canada Council of the Arts or some other organization where where is this money coming from to, to, to make sure that that uh, the venues and the theater companies stick around
3: that's uh, that, that's my favorite and least favorite question <laughs> um, it depends on the size of the company right because things like like Stratford and Shaw and like the big regional companies They have operational funding, they had access to a lot of funding to help keep the lights on and continue to keep the lights on while they're doing this sort of reduced capacity. where there isn't funding and where there's been a lot of advocacy work going on in the theater community is for like the storefront theaters. So stuff like the coal mine in Toronto, that's like a little storefront. They've actually been doing a pop-up shop, super cute, called the Canary and the Coal Mine. And it's like a little like pop-up maker shop in their uh, theater because they can't make work or they couldn't until like the last week. Um, and so it's I think it's those companies that that have a building or work on project funding that Um, Like there was a project I was supposed to work on in Winnipeg this fall, which I've I've had to step back from and pass on to somebody else. But we we did our project grants. We got all of our funding in place, but we had no idea when we were going to be able to actually produce the show (laughs) because we had no idea what the lockout rules were going to be. And that's a company that we're fortunate to have a small endowment that pays our artistic director like a pittance to to basically run all of our admin. But otherwise, we only get paid if we make work. Right. And and it, like you say, like such a tiny fraction of that money comes from ticket sales. So we need a huge amount of grant to in order to make it happen and pay everybody a living wage. Um, and, and like you say, like that's an even smaller amount that's going to come from tickets when when you can't do it. So in that case, we moved to outside so that we could have a larger number of people in the audience. It really worked for the aesthetic of the show, but. But that's not always possible, and you know, if you're producing something in February in Winnipeg, it's definitely not possible. <laughs> you
1: <know>? Unless you're <laughs> bear baiting.
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe if you did, even then, even the bears like, I'm out. <laughs> See <you> yeah, later. <laughs>
1: exist, uh, Um, you you mentioned uh uh the the, the Twitter theater threat. Um, yeah that 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 entire community. Was it concerned about funding before the pandemic? Oh, yeah. But certainly the government, like, that's not a new issue for the arts in anywhere in Canada, I would suspect. No, Um, not at all. (laughs) I have to think the concerns are greater now, given the pressures governments are going to be on going forward. Um, You know, we have to figure out how to prepare for the next pandemic. We've had to pay for the past one, um, the, the pressures on, on uh, the fiscal pressures on government, whether, whether we, yeah. you know, whether, whether governments want to, politicians want to admit it now are going to be immense in the, in the coming years.
3: I, I feel like I have a unique perspective because I've, I've made theater in Canada, I've made theater in the UK, and I know a lot about how theater is made in other countries. And if I ever do a PhD, this topic of funding and, and what you get for your dollar is actually what I'm going to talk about if I ever, you know, get the brain power. Um, but the, if, in Canada, I feel like I'm kind of of a mixed feeling because in, in one way, we are incredibly blessed. We have so many funding options and avenues and places to get artists funded for projects. That said, there's kind of like, it, it sort of ends up going to the same places all the time. <laughs> whether that's a particular company or particular individuals or particular kinds of projects. Um, and I think that that's what perpetuates that feeling of anxiety about, like, is my project going to get funded? Um, and I also think, like, as much as I wish that it were feasible for me to make a living as an artist and only do that, um, I decided back in my 20s that that wasn't, if I wanted to have a certain quality of life, that wasn't going to be possible. I didn't want to live in a basement apartment at 30. So here we are, I had to have another job. Um, but, but I think that it's There's an immense amount of privilege that we have in Canada where you can be an independent artist and own a house in lots of cities in Canada, Toronto excluded, but but lots of cities in Canada. That's a completely realistic thing to do. And lots of people do it. And I think that that's we're so fortunate here. And we get really kind of we get blinders about it because, you know, if you were making theater in the US, they don't have nearly the number of funding options that we do. Um, In the UK, there's a lot of funding options, but they're they can be tricky to get. Um, I'd say the only place where that and even he, I'm sure if you talk to German theater makers, they would have a different opinion. But but in Germany, they have a different model where the like artists are full time employees um, and they're like a company member of a theater they work there all the time and they can develop work. And, you know, if I lived in Berlin, I might have gone into the Shabuna as a as an apprentice director at, you know, 23 when I finished my bachelor's degree and then just worked there for the rest of time in the same way that you go into any other company. And that's just not a thing here. Like, <laughs> we just don't, we don't have it, but it's so important there. Um, like, it's just funded, which is why when the pandemic struck, you know, they had to shut down, they had to do this and this, but the theater company could keep making work. And they could, they could offer all sorts of shows for free or for donation because the work already existed because those artists already get paid their salary anyway, whether there's an audience or not. And yeah, the
2: public sector? Yeah,
3: okay. if you're like a government employee if you're, you're a, like if a, your a theater maker. Yeah,
2: and yeah, the German model is incredible. I had a, a friend uh, who was going over be hired by a choir. And then he could do freelance work on the side as a as a soloist, and that makes a good living. It's a, yeah. it, it, Canada is a very different different ballgame when it comes to uh, to funding like that. You know, I know we've been talking a lot about acting theater on stage, but you know, there's there's obviously other performing arts. Musical theater maybe uh, presents a different challenge because when you're singing, you're spray in even more you know yeah. <laughs> potentially covid infected uh, uh, <laughs> you know breath everywhere yeah. there's you know symphonic for example maybe strings will go back before trombones because i think you know blowing a new instrument and sending it all over the place is a is a, is a different a different ball game as well. Is is there a particular you know subset within the performing arts that, that you think will lag or lead the others uh, in terms of uh, a full re-engagement?
3: I think all of the performing arts have been similarly hit. Some are a little bit more flexible to have done things in the middle. So um, a really great story is um, a musical stage company uh, in, in Toronto did uh, front yard concerts basically so you could hire um it wasn't even that much it was like a 100 or 150 dollars, or maybe maybe 300 dollars. and the you would get like a so a private performance on your front lawn for you and your neighbors from like some of the best musical theater performers in Canada because all all they needed was like a little amp and a microphone and like someone with a keyboard that they could like roll up on your sidewalk and then you'd get this performance and you know that's amazing because you can have someone come and do like a mini, you know, 20 minute concert for you or like a, we walked by the other day. Someone there was like a a strings duo doing the same thing on a street nearby. We were just out walking the dog and then we like stopped to listen to the to the cello and the violin. So there's in some ways those performing mediums are a little bit more flexible. Right. Because you can just pick up you can there's like the busking element of that kind of performance, whereas you know, if I just like rocked into the Young and Dundas station and just started doing like the Goneril monologue stuff, <laughs> King Lear, people would be like, "This lady's crazy. We need to get her some help."
2: Maybe you know? not in Toronto. Maybe,
3: maybe no, not maybe not Young and Dundas. Maybe they'd be yeah. like, "Oh, welcome." You know?
2: <laughs> well, you're, you're you're waiting for Godot could be waiting for the
3: TTC. Instead. Yeah, exactly. just doing like Winnie from Happy Days, like throwing things. It'd be great, but but pro like realistically, it's a lot harder to like roll theater up in kind of a busky sort of a way um so in that way like my husband's a musician um and I I definitely feel like they've had a little bit more ability to keep performing <laughs> than in well, their kind all of normal kinds way of
1: pop-up concerts online right yeah I mean, there's all kinds you know, of stuff and and you know I don't know how much um revenue they made or how much income they made from it but there's certainly a way to keep their fan base going and stay connected yeah. they Pop up online and do an acoustic set for an hour and say thank we you. We even very went
3: much to- Metallica, with my husband and my daughter are big Metallica fans. They did a drive-in movie concert. Yeah. So you could go to drive-ins all over North America on the same night at the same time, and they live streamed to this drive-in. And the tickets were not cheap. Like yeah. not cheap. Oh, and
2: they
1: did a huge success, Metallica, on that from a, from a, It was an income To be fair,
3: it was really cool. Like I had my doubts, so I and, took my book. <laughs>
1: and 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 to be fair, massive band with a huge following yeah. that that had a built-in audience where people went, hmm, Metallica's doing something neat. I want to be part
2: of it.
3: Yeah, um, but even smaller bands. So I- and did similar sorts of things mm. right well with any
2: luck uh, all of this uh, pent-up savings and demand that uh, economists keep telling us about uh, yeah. will be unleashed on the art sector when when people feel comfortable uh, re-engaging uh, in in uh, in various art forms going going forward wouldn't that be wonderful if once once the venues are open oh. if everybody filled every seat
3: that would be amazing oh, or at least half the seats not thirty
1: yes. <laughs> percent. Uh, there there, there and may and be editing. there may be a huge desire for an outlet, right, for people who haven't done even this before, who maybe watched something online
2: mm. and
1: went, you know what, I I, I hadn't uh, hadn't experienced the theater, I hadn't done it on a regular basis, but I saw some cool things online. Um, um, once I had streamed everything on Netflix yeah. and was done with that, I turned myself to YouTube and found Kendra Jones's uh, uh, <laughs> show, and
2: now I want to see more of what she's doing. So
3: maybe one hope. I'm not on YouTube, but maybe. <laughs>
2: what, are, what, are your, uh, what are your upcoming projects, Kendra? What, what are you looking forward to doing uh, in, oh, uh, in the future?
3: I'm I'm actually taking a bit of a, a rest right now because I, I basically made work nonstop since the pandemic started, which is the opposite of what most people did. Within hours, I think, of getting the lockdown order, I created an online um, digital installation project, which I ran every day, five times a day, um, from my from home. It was called the Containment Diary. And I had artists from all over the world take photos of the same spot in their house at four different junctures during the day. And they uploaded this ongoing living diary of, of everyone being contained. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to direct a, a show and then create the Acorn Project and and all of that. So I'm feeling a little like I need a break.
2: <laughs> Time for someone else, uh, you know, who maybe has had a break over the last year to, uh,
3: yeah, to step up. Well, and I, I did have to step back. I was meant to direct a show um, in Winnipeg for a company called Theater by the River. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful play. I've passed it on to someone else. It's called Meet Me at Dawn. And it's like the most perfect play for this moment. Um, it's a rethinking of the Eurydice story um, about two women, uh, their partners. One of them dies um, in a boating accident. And um, it's about reliving those last moments together and making, you know, if you could spend another 80 years with someone, you know, would it be worth it? um, to have those last moments again. It's so a really Very pretty cool. beautiful play that they'll be doing on the side of the red river. <laughs> um, that's cool. but no, I'm, I'm writing stuff. I'm trying to uh, process all the stuff that's just happened and do something with it. Cause a big part of my practice isn't just making work, but reflecting on it and writing a bit about what that process was and, and where, where I think things can go.
1: I want to, I want to shift gears for just a sec, not to, uh, not to confuse, but because Sean and I have another hat that's more political um, and there's an upcoming, well, we think all, all signs indicate um, there's an upcoming federal election. Any thoughts, lessons from the theater? Cause I think politics is basically theater in many ways on how to uh, attract, hook, convince, communicate, um, you know, for, for political parties out there. Um, basically facing a very similar world that that you're facing now right you know things are starting to open up but not quite there's hesitancy um any any thoughts on those things
3: i read someone say that if you don't if you're over 40 and you don't have a mentor who's under like 30 or something like that that you're doing it wrong um and i think that that's a really good lesson for uh, politicians because we have such a a terrible issue with young people being young people, even people my age, being engaged in politics uh, in this country, because we're also comfortable. When you said earlier about us being kind of average social, like in terms of social capital and stuff like that, that's the first thing that came to mind is that we're incredibly comfortable. So I think that it finding ways to To not only, like, engage with youth by, like, having a TikTok account or doing some silly dance, like, that's not what that means. I think it means actually listening to young people and, like, actually listening, not just saying, like, you know, lip service, oh, yeah, thanks, and then, like, going about your day, but actually listening to what matters to them and what they want to see for this country, because they're going to be here a lot longer than the people who tend to go out and vote. Um, and there's so much cynicism among people like, you know, 30, 40 and under about whether politicians actually do anything and if, if anyone's any different from the others. Um, and I think that's, in my observations anyway, I think that's why Jagmeet Singh has had some success and, and gained some traction is because there is an authenticity to him. It feels like he's actually listening to other people and really thinking about... Um, the issues and the things that are going on in the world. And and I think that it'll be really interesting because the, the awareness of Indigenous issues has increased so drastically in the last while. Um, and I don't know why, but I think it's amazing. So let's keep that moving in the right direction. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out um, throughout the election campaign, because we've had lots of many years of politicians talking about Indigenous issues, but mm-hmm. no one actually ever really doing anything. Yeah. Not a lot has changed, and there seems to be a lot more um, impetus and, and desire from the general population for things to get fixed. So, well,
1: One can hope uh, on the Indigenous file, but it's um, uh, one of our, our studies. We found 68% of Canadians, um, and higher amongst older Canadians, but said, you know, I don't think we'll ever get true reconciliation in my lifetime. <laughs> which, is a, which is a built-in barrier to, if it's not going to happen, I'm not going to worry it? too much. But yeah. Exactly. That's that's a worry. I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's a worry I have that people see this as an insurmountable task. And and yeah, it's closer to 80 amongst the older population, but it's well over 50 amongst those under 30 to your point around yeah. cynicism. And they have a long ways to go, right? If you're under 30, you've got 50, 60-some-odd years to see that happen. And if half mm. of them are saying it's not likely to happen, it's it's worrisome.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's really worrisome. But I think I think that there's an opportunity to to really, really listen, um, and particularly to young people and, and what they want and what where they want the country to go and and actually make some change.
2: I was very pleased just the other day. My alma mater, Wilford Laurie University, just announced that they hired a member of the uh, Anishinaabe Nation as a new tenure track uh, professor in musical composition, so oh, right. I thought I thought that was an excellent appointment, uh, and uh, no doubt we'll will be able to uh, uh, to see more uh, more composition artwork coming out through the university and, and through the students mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that they teach. So I, I was really really pleased by that, and I think you know, as you noted that there just seems to be a lot more attention recently on um, on Indigenous issues. And, and I'm hoping that that translates into uh, Indigenous art as well and, mm-hmm. and providing more funding and more, more vehicles for um, Indigenous art to be um, uh, broadcasted, produced, played, transmitted in w- w- whatever format we're, we're using uh, in any given day.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it's really exciting to see the Stratford Festival has programmed the Res Sisters, which is yes. the first Indigenous uh, written play to be at Stratford, in all of its years, and The Resistors isn't even new. Like I studied it in my undergrad, and it was oldish then. It was a few years old. It's a really funny play. If if you don't have tickets, get them. It's so funny. <laughs> Great. Um, Great. But yeah, it's, it's it's it. You know, things are moving. So hopefully, keep it moving.
1: <laughs> That's excellent. Well, I, Sean, do you have any other questions, or should we let Kendra uh-huh. get back to her day job? Yeah, I'll let Kendra get back to her day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Kendra. I, it's uh, this has been a great conversation. It, it's always, for me, really great to talk to people who have such great, um, I won't say hidden, but skills and other things other than what what I see them at work doing, right? And I know that it's very interesting to see your theater background. Uh Sean has a, a huge musical background and some great skills on that. I have no other skills other than what I do during my day job. But it's great to to talk to you and uh and thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Educated Conjecture. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of Public Opinion and Informed Insights. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at publicaffairs at ipsos.com. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-A-F-F-A-I-R-S at ipsos, I-P-S-O-S dot com.